The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he is with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, church. Good evening, church. Now, as we transition into the reading of God's word, what we want to do is, as we just read it, I want to make sure that we really understood what we're about to walk into. So I'm just going to keep it real. How many of you have had some weird church experiences before? Okay, if you don't have your hand raised, first of all, maybe that means you've never stepped into church. Thank you for coming. Uh, If you haven't raised your hand and you've been in a church, you're a liar. So uh, all churches have some kind of weirdness to it. Let's Let's keep it real. So you come to this thing every single Sunday. You say that you're brothers and sisters with people that obviously you would, the closest thing you would ever say is it's a brother or a sister from another mother. Um, There are people that you would never associate yourselves with unless there was something higher or something greater that was connecting you. And so let's think about this. This beautiful idea of the family of God doesn't just practice itself here in the relationships that you have. And some of you are thinking, well, I've never had a bad church experience. Stick around long enough. You probably will. Let's just, people are people and people will make mistakes. But the beautiful trustworthiness of who God is and the song that we just sang, the understanding of who Jesus is, is that we believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, this beautiful dynamic of our Father, Son, and Spirit working together the three in one, or what the scriptures in our mind call this beautiful connectedness, this beautiful, intricate, wonderful family that works together. We call it in church history the Trinity. And so what we want to do is, as a church, we just finished up our teaching series. We are a church that believes in the power of the Word of God. And so we want you to understand who God is by walking through His Word. But through this next series, what we want you to do is to walk through God's Word, looking and understanding not just who God is, but whom God is. Have you ever thought about it from this perspective? If you read the book of Genesis, in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, it says this beautiful phrase. When God is creating the heavens and the earth, he says it, let us make mankind in our own image. So from the beginning, this beautiful idea of God is he's not just this theory or idea in the sky. He's he's an intricate and intimate family of a father, son, and spirit, creating, empowering, and moving all throughout history. And so before we walk through this series, I do want to do some prefacing because sadly, this beautiful element of who God is, the Holy Spirit, for some of us, we don't know a lot about it. Let me just ask you, have you ever done like an in-depth, focused, walking through God's word of trying to understand who the Holy Spirit is? Yeah, we've got some people that have done that. But for some of you, I I need to be real with you. I grew up in a religious tradition that like really focused more on like the Father and the Son because that was a lot easier to understand than the Holy Spirit. And that is a detriment to the understanding of our understanding of who God is. In the scriptures, it talks about God as this Father, this Son, and the Spirit, or in his original Hebrew idea, his word Elohim, This beautiful God who is not just an individual, but he is a plural God. 
And he is a beautiful, wonderful Father, Son, and Spirit that wants to work in us. And so what we want to do during this series is we want to help you to understand what the Holy Spirit is. But there's two major guidelines I'm going to give you whenever it comes to anything about God. If it doesn't come from the Bible or if Jesus didn't do it, guard yourselves. Because what can happen is that we sometimes love the manifestations and the beauty of what God can give, but we're more focused on what God can present to us than his presence. And so we need to be very careful, and I want to help us to understand this very big paradigm. What God gives is from him. What you receive is not from you. Because what can happen when it comes to this idea of the Holy Spirit is we can, we can almost take control or ownership of what God has given to us. And there's a difference between ownership and stewardship. It's the idea that you and I, we are given things to take care of, to manage, but it's a manifesting, it's a beautiful understanding for you and I to first, if we're going to walk through this understanding of who God is, God is a wonderful father with a plan who has made himself visible in us through the gift of his son Jesus and in Jesus's last earthly ministry words said I'm going to leave you another gift a comforter someone that can help you as you transition into the next phase of the church and so Jesus through his earthly ministry established our position of salvation. In Jesus alone are we able to receive salvation, but through the power of the Holy Spirit can we continue in the process of sanctification or continually walking to follow God. And so these are some like big ideas, but I really just want to start from the get-go because the conversation can quickly go into this idea of what can I take from God versus what does God want to give to you? And the way that God gives his spirit is in two ways. He gives his spirit first as this idea of a seal, a beautiful, wonderful invitation to join the family of God. As our worship leader Brandon was talking about, he invites us to family and the spirit acts as a seal, this ability to say that we are a part of the family of God. And we're going to be walking through a lot of verses tonight just so that you understand the different characteristics of how Jesus operated with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we default to these answers, like, especially in church world, if you don't know what you're talking about, if you're here for the first time or you're, like, checking out church world, sometimes the best answer, if you don't know the answer, is just Jesus. If somebody asks you a question, oh, like, why is the sky blue? Jesus. Like, that's sometimes a safety net. But we do that sometimes with the beautiful, intricate nature of how Jesus did ministry. It's like, how did Jesus raise people from the dead? Jesus. How did he heal and make people that were blind see again? I don't know, Jesus. But we don't need to minimize the beauty of who God is. This beautiful, Trinitarian, wonderful idea of God our Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so we're going to be walking through this series together to understand who the Spirit is, how it operates, how it blesses us. And not only does it bless you, but it also guides you in the way that we're called to live. Because if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we are followers of God, that means that we are supposed to be living and walking in tune 
with the Holy Spirit. But before we can do that, we need to start with the beginning. And so if you have your, if you have your notes, if you're following along with the Bible app, we're going to be following through some critical verses for us to understand. And so let's recap first. Whenever I teach the Bible, the way I kind of like to explain the way I do this is some people preach. I like to teach to preach because I want you to know what I'm talking about before I start stamping what I mean. So we're going to walk through this first part of what Mark is trying to explain. And so for those of you that don't know, the book of Mark, it's written by a guy named John Mark, who is actually a follower of the apostle Paul. Paul and Mark didn't get along. And so actually Mark and Paul split company at one time. But because of the grace of the relationship that Jesus provided in their dynamic, they went from being a broken missionary partnership to a partnership working together to create the gospel that we know now as the gospel of Mark. And so we see a beautiful restoration happening in Paul and John Mark's life by Paul working and Peter working with John Mark and the Holy Spirit guiding John Mark to write in the very beginning in the book of Mark. And so if you have your program, if you're following along, the screen is also going to tell you what verses we're reading tonight. So first, let's watch this together. In Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9, it says like this, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Let's stop there real quick. This is essentially a smack on who Jesus was and where he came from. Some of you are from the greater boroughs of New York City, and it's like saying somebody's from Long Island. It's kind of a backhanded compliment, right? It's like, yeah, I'm from New York, but I'm from Long Island, you know? It's like saying you're from Miami, but you're actually from Hialeah. It's like, it's, it's a different thing. <laughs> hey, come on. There we go. If you're, from, if you're from Hialeah, take pride in it. The rest of Miami likes to knock it a little bit. But so contextualization, this is what's happening. Mark is saying Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was a town that wasn't even mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. It's a no-name town. So Jesus, this guy from Nazareth, is not just the guy. He, Jesus, came and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And so this next verse we see continuing on in verse 10, it says that Jesus, beginning his earthly ministry, when he came out of the water under the water that he was baptized by John, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice from heaven came saying you are my beloved son with you i am well pleased this is one of the first visible expressions of the trinity in action the father speaking from heaven the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and jesus the beautiful suffering savior that he was beginning his ministry demonstrating to the people that I am doing my ministry under the will of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. They work together. Multiple times in the scriptures, Jesus says, I will not do anything unless it is the will of the Father. And many times when Jesus is working, he says, invokes the Holy Spirit. It's a Trinitarian. It's a triangle. It's a perfect way to work. And the only way I can try to describe it, for those of you that are basketball fans, it's like Phil Jackson's triangle theory. Oh my gosh, there are no basketball fans in here. This is going to fall flat. Okay. For those of you that are basketball nerds like me, it's not just the score, it's the movement of the game. For me, I love football, or as Americans have just destroyed the name of it, soccer. 
um, there's this beautiful poetry of how football works. It's this idea of not just the goals, and again, for some of you that hate soccer because there's not enough goals in it, because you don't see the poetry. <laughs> you don't see the movements. You don't see the setups. You don't see in the geometry of the game, the triangle movement of the backfield setting up the midfield to position the strikers to be able to score. I love soccer a lot, and you, when you know it and when you see it, you see how it works together. The more you understand how God is in his character and in, in his essence, you will understand how he works. God works in the three persons of the Trinity, the will of the Father, the person of Jesus, and the power of the Spirit. And so as this navigation of the Spirit is beginning, Jesus is helping the people to understand that I am coming as the Son of God to fulfill the will of the Father through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is the framework of how the relationship works. And so as we go forward, what we need to understand is that you and I are going to be juggling this tension right now. So to kind of put us in a cultural understanding, we are in the, one of the weirdest time periods of history right now. This has happened before, but let me just kind of help you understand. I kind of want to use this illustration of like two giant gorillas fighting right now. And for some of you are like, why are you going with the monkeys, okay? You'll get it in a second. Two giant things are competing in our culture right now. First, this idea of a sexual revolution. In the 70s and the 60s, late 60s, around the Woodstock era, there was a sexual revolution happening, but it was more about sexual liberation. Because what was happening, especially in the, the prudence and the prohibition eras of the United States, there became this conservative restraint. And so what happened was people started to take their sexuality and they just wanted to move it from the constraints of legalism and they wanted to be liberal or just completely abandoning the idea of who they wanted to love physically with their bodies. So we went from the 60s and 70s of the sexual revolution of sexual liberation. Now we're moving into a sexual revolution of sexual identity. We are moving from this idea of what sexuality is. Sexuality is a couple different ideas. One is this idea of gender, but it's also this idea of activity and what happens in our culture now as people are searching for their identity. And sexuality is one place that we're searching for our identity in. The problem is, is that as sexuality is becoming a form of identity, the church is taking the fear tactic of going all the way to the opposite side of it to now the opposite problem is now we're having more and more religious fundamentalism. We don't know how to have civil conversations with people with different ideologies. When's the last time you had a conversation with somebody that had completely different political views than you? I would venture to say the last engagement you've had with somebody like that is you blocking them on Facebook. Because haters going to hate, so I don't need that in my life, right? But we are losing the ability to be civil civilians, people that can engage in civil discourse. And so what is happening is these polar opposites of sexual revolution and the church in its fundamentalist form is not able to find the middle of grace and truth. 
Because if you truly love somebody, you're going to tell them the truth. But if you genuinely love someone, you're going to tell them with patience. And we don't want to play the middle. We want to go straight to our emotional and fear-driven tactics. If I don't like you and I disagree with your way of life, I'm going to step behind a keyboard or a phone and I'm going to flame you and I'm going to go on and live my life and validate my opinions. But you and I need to be better than that. We need to be people that recognize that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is driving us to engage with culture. And Jesus tells us plainly this way in John 16, Jesus says it like this. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus, the Son of God, came on this earth in the humblest form possible, came and gave his life for us and conquered sin and death for all eternity. So church... Don't act like the world's going to beat you. Jesus already won. So if we know that mentally, we need to move that from mental cognition to heart transformation. We no longer are slaves to fear. We are children of God. So now we need to walk in the newness of life under Jesus' gift of salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to walk through first understanding these three big things that Jesus does. First, Jesus himself is a gift. The gift of Jesus. Let us never forget how beautiful and how wonderful Jesus himself is. Jesus is our model of how we are supposed to live. The word Christian in its original form, means little Christ or Christ's follower. So everything we do should aspire to be like Jesus. Jesus is our first gift, the gift of our salvation. But then from his gift of who he is, we also need to understand his humanity. We need to understand who he was as a person. And then by the power of Jesus, you and I continually follow in his steps. And so let's walk through this together. So first, we need to understand the gift of Jesus. Jesus is clearly demonstrated for you and I in the book of Titus. And there's so many verses that we're going to walk through that it's going to be a little bit overwhelming. And I'm encouraging you, if you haven't texted into the text in number, look at your program real quick, text in. And every single verse that we're going to talk about tonight is going to be in that digital program so that you can keep them and reference them for later. There's so much information that I could overwhelm you, but I'm going to try to give you a framework so that you understand who Jesus is and how he operates with the Spirit. So first in Titus 3, starting in verse 4, Titus is declaring and explaining to his followers that, but, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Jesus is the gateway to the Spirit. We don't bypass Jesus so that we can get the Holy Spirit. Without Jesus, there is no gift of the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, our salvation and our sanctification begins. And through the Spirit, we continue to live the newness of life. But you can't get the Spirit without going through Jesus. Jesus is the first gift. And as we look through that, it's echoed and emphasized again in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says like this. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit that indwells in you. You can't have the gift of the Spirit without the gift of Jesus. You can't bypass the resurrected King to get the gifts of the King. Start with Jesus. Jesus is our first gift. But in order for us to understand this, and this is usually the biggest problem that most people have with Jesus, is how can Jesus be God but also human? And so that's what we need to wrestle with is Jesus is this dichotomy of both fully deity but also fully humanity. We don't know how to understand this. And for some of us, the closest we're probably going to ever understand this, the, this side of earth, is how can Thor, son of Odin, the amazing, wonderful man that even though he screwed up in Infinity War, I'm not going to spoil the end game, but the dichotomy of how can someone be so born of deity but so complicated in his humanity. Jesus is not just some Norse mythology character. Jesus is not just some person that has been thrown together because of convenience or just ideology. Jesus is the personification or the scriptures explain to us this beautiful understanding the humanity of Jesus is two parts first he is fully God and we see this in Colossians 1 chapter 50 or chapter 1 verse 15 it says it like this Jesus he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and in earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him. Jesus, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And that everything must be preeminent. Jesus, everything from the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace on the blood of the cross. Jesus is the end game. Jesus is the one that came before us, and he's the one, and he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So Jesus came, created all things, but not only that, he's the finisher of all evil. So he's fully man. He's fully man, but we need to understand this because he was fully man by being born of a human. And we see this in the Christmas story. We see it every year. We do the nativity theme, but the word of God speaks for its own power. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says it like this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God isn't just some deity in the sky. God is a fully sympathizing, understanding, caring, compassionate, wonderful God. Because he came in the beautiful, gifted, wonderful nature of Jesus, humbling himself in the form of a child in a barn box all the way to the servant on a cross. Jesus is our gateway. And so Jesus was the beginning and is the beginning. But Jesus not only is the beginning, he also is the one that holds the power. 
Jesus is the one that demonstrates his power through the way he did his ministry. As I was talking about earlier, sometimes we just dummy down the power of God by saying, I don't know how that works. That's just Jesus. It's kind of like Superman. I don't know how it's going to get done, but just Superman figures out a way. But you and I need to step back and realize that Jesus, as beautiful and as wonderful and as amazing as he is, he worked in tandem with the Trinity. He worked under the will of the Father and the power of the Spirit. And we see this happening in multiple instances. We see this in our first verse that we read tonight. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, it says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Jesus didn't go to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. The Spirit actually led him. And some of us will use this idea to get us in trouble sometimes. Oh, I don't, the Spirit led me to do that, right? No, 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 no. Don't blame Jesus. Don't blame the Spirit because you can't control yourself. You and I need to recognize that this idea, Jesus, Jesus started his ministry by the presence of the Spirit and the Spirit guiding him to be tempted and tested for 40 days and 40 nights. The Spirit was a part of that process. And then in Luke 4, verse 14, it says it like this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout the, all the surrounding country. Jesus went out to the wilderness in the Spirit, and he came back in the power of the Spirit. Luke 4, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives by recovering the sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Everything that Jesus has done in the beginning of his earthly ministry is done under the power of the Spirit. It's not Jesus alone. It is Jesus working in tandem with the Trinity. And again, Luke 5 Verse 17, on one of those days as he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord, the power of Yahweh, the great I am, which is Elohim, this beautiful Trinitarian God, the power of the Lord was with him. Jesus, being fully man and fully God, under the power of the Holy Spirit, did his gifts of healing. So, you might be thinking, why are you really pounding this idea? It's because you and I need to recognize that as much as Jesus has been a part of this process, as Jesus has done this, Jesus is preparing you and I to recognize that without him, there is no God because Jesus is God. But through Jesus, we see in the book of Acts that he has left us a gift. And so this is where you and I need to quickly praise Jesus and prepare ourselves for how Jesus wants us to operate. Jesus demonstrates this idea in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. He says it like this. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and on earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to your little children. Yes, Father, for such of your gracious will, because what Jesus is doing in the beginning and in the end of his ministry is he's preparing his, fo his followers for two things. One, to understand the kingdom of God. Those people, the 12 disciples, the apostles which they became, they did not understand truly what the kingdom of God was. So Jesus, who made visible the invisible, the 
beautiful, wonderful King of Kings and Lord of Lords that was ushering in this kingdom. He was ushering in this understanding that first, I am in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Mark writes it like this. He says, in the beginning, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus demonstrates you and I, we are to follow him because he first came after us. Jesus, at the will of the Father, came, and even when the night before he was crucified, he went to the garden, and he was speaking to his Father. He said, though this burden is so heavy to bear, I wish this cup would pass from me, but if it is the will of the Father, I will do it. Jesus loved you and I so much that he was willing to submit to the will of the Father because he understood that he was empowered with the Holy Spirit as the Son of God. And so what we need to understand is there is this delicate, delicate balance that we need to walk from here on. And that's why I started with this guideline. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, if it cannot be confirmed by the Word of God, and if Jesus didn't do it, be careful to say that it's from the Holy Spirit. Because we want to pray expectant things as a church. We want to pray bold things as a church. But if we don't have our doctrine correct, if we don't have our understanding of who God is and what the Holy Spirit is, all we're going to do is we're going to create chaos and confusion amongst the brothers and sisters of God. So beginning in this series, we first want to help us clarify the Holy Spirit comes through Jesus. Not around, not under, not over, through. Jesus said it like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't go to the Spirit without going through Jesus. And Jesus leaves us this powerful statement that he gave to the disciples before the end of his ministry, right as the book of Acts was about to begin. In John 14, verse 12, it says it like this, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. I've said this statement before to me, especially when I was starting in my relationship with God. I was like, man, if I had Jesus like right here, I would not be a total screw up. Like for those of you that have had like parental guidance in your life and good friends that keep you in check. Like, when you have good people around you, you don't do stupid stuff. But just imagine, like, God was right here. Some of the shady stuff you would have done, you would have been like, oh, I can't do that. Like, God's, like, literally right here. Not going to happen. So I used to say this to myself, man, if I had Jesus right next to me, I wouldn't do half the things that I would do. But Jesus says himself, that I need to leave so that I can bring you an even greater gift. I've won the battle over sin and death. I have defeated Satan. I have declared victory for all people for all time. And now, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. If you receive the gift of salvation, you are not just going to receive the gift of Jesus, you're going to also be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, 
if you have the Holy Spirit and his prayer for his people is that if his church has the Holy Spirit, they will do greater things than he has done. But we need to be a church that recognizes that if we do not humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, if we do not lift up the name of Jesus, our arrogance and our desire for the Holy Spirit will trump the wonderful matchless name of the King of Kings. Don't seek the Spirit without first seeking Jesus. Jesus is our comforter. Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our salvation. And maybe you come from different church traditions. Maybe you come from different spiritual influences in your life. Sadly, maybe you've seen horrible teaching about what the Holy Spirit is. And it just became kind of this idea that, hey, if I pray for this like super activation gift from the Spirit, I'm going to get to do what I want and say, God gave it to me. Let me be very clear. If God has first redeemed you, made you aware of the wickedness and the sin in your life, that was the first gift that he gave to you. God revealed to you that there is none righteous, no, not one, and that for the price to pay for sin is death. And the only way that that death could be paid for is in the name above all names, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so when you recognize that first, that is the first gift of God, that you understand who Jesus is and his gift of salvation. Now we know who Jesus is. Now we follow in his righteousness by receiving the Holy Spirit and living in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So that's our starting point tonight. We're going to go through this series. We're going to walk through the word of God together. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit developed in the early church. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit moves through the age of the church, through all the New Testament, through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to walk through the New Testament to see how the Holy Spirit has lived, moved, and breathed and what the church is called to do with the Holy Spirit. I believe that this series will be powerful, but in order for us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we first have to submit to the power of Jesus. So I personally want to share with you if you're here and you're more focused on what God can do for you rather than what he's done, I want to encourage you. There's nothing that God wants to do more than to give you the gift of salvation. He's already done it. He's already sent his son. He's already given the greatest gift of all. Jesus Christ, which we just celebrated last week, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. And so if you don't have a relationship with God, I'm encouraging you. And if you're here and you're a skeptic and you're like, I don't know about this church stuff, I'm not down with it, I want to tell you, don't walk out of here without asking questions. Maybe you're here tonight and you've, you're just looking for more questions because you already have all the answers. Stop looking for the questions. You have the answer. The answer is Jesus. He loves you. He came. He died for you. And now he wants you to live in the newness of life. The way that you were created from the beginning when Elohim, the God of the universe, created the heavens and earth and then he made mankind in his likeness. Father, Son, and Spirit.
And so if you're here tonight and you have questions about your faith, I want to tell you, bring your questions to Jesus. And the greatest question that you can bring to him is this, Jesus, will you forgive me? And he will. He's faithful to forgive. It's not like one of those coupons that you got to worry about the buy date. Jesus' gift of salvation is free to receive and to take. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to show up to church. And you have to like make sure it's like over 51% for the year of 2019. Like it's not like that. You are not based on metrics in the name of Jesus. You are based on the metric of grace. God loves you. And he loved you so much he was willing to give his son for you. So if you're here tonight and you don't have that peace, that's what Mark wants you to have first. The peace to know that God loves you and that the Holy Spirit is the gift he wants to give to you, but you have to first go through Jesus. Know who he is, how much he loves you, and his plan for your life. If you have questions about that idea, I would be willing to talk to you. That is, There is no greater conversation I can have with you other than what is Jesus, who is he, and what does he want for your life? I would love to talk to you about that tonight. So with that said, let's take a moment, and maybe God's asking you to do some business right now. I want to give you a moment to pray and to, to just maybe speak to God. You don't have to speak audibly. Maybe you want to speak in the stillness of the moment. Maybe you're a Christian here tonight, and I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to guide your prayer. Maybe there's something in your heart that you know you need to pray right now, and you just need the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is ask. Jesus, speak to him right now. Ask the Spirit to guide you. You know there's something on your heart you want to talk to God about. Do it right now and ask for the Spirit to guide you and direct you as you pray. And as you're praying, I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to pray generally for all of us. I feel like the Lord's leading me to do this for all of us tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus. I come before you, Father, and I thank you for your perfect will and your perfect plan. Father, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. I thank you for all that he's done for us. I thank you for the sacrifice that we were willing to remember last week. But Father, let us not treat the sacrifice of Jesus as a religious event. Let us treat it like a beautiful gift to be received. So Father, if there's somebody here in this room tonight that they do not want to step out of here without saying to you that I know you are God, I know that Jesus died for me, and I know that when I ask for forgiveness, you are faithful to forgive because you are a beautiful and wonderful Father. And Jesus, you are a wonderful and faithful Savior. So if there's someone here in this room tonight, Father, I pray that you give them the words to say to you, to tell you they love you, and they are grateful for your forgiveness. And now that they are forgiven, to seek you and to seek first the kingdom of God so that by seeking you first, the Holy Spirit will be added to them. Let them not seek the Spirit. Let them seek you, Jesus. Father God, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Spirit, lead us. And we come before you as we walk through your word during this next season to know more about you and to know your spirit. We come before you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Guide us, Spirit, in your wonderful, matchless name. 
Amen.